here so humbly tonight, God, before you. And Jesus, we feel your presence in this place, God. I feel the witness of your spirit, Lord. I want to be in direct line, Jesus, with your will, Father. I want to hear your voice tonight, your still, small voice, Jesus. Jesus' name. Father, have your way among us, I pray. Move on every individual, O oh God, your spirit of revelation, your spirit of revelation, O oh God, and understanding. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen. Um, you know, we we're kind of where we are, um, and I had had this conversation um, with Bishop today, but kind of, I, kind of where I feel like we are as a church, and whether it's the church as a whole across the world or this congregation, um, I'm not for sure, but definitely where we are as a congregation is kind of a place of transition. There's um, a lot of things that are sort of changing and moving, and and um, something I've, I've kind of learned through some experience and then just different ones that have taught it to me is that, you know, in times of, in times of transition and things shifting, um, one one way I, I heard it and saw it explained was, you know, you're you're transitioning from one place to the next, and as your foot is in motion, it's a lot of times during that that simple motion, that simple moment that you're you're vulnerable to either be nudged or, um, you know, maybe a breeze comes by, and in that moment of transition um, is when things can be the most shaky in life. Um, Kind of like this pulpit up here, <laughs> and um, and I don't think this pulpit's in transition, but it often transitions from the platform to the floor, and that's probably the reason for its squeakiness. But um, but in 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 transition and things shifting, things moving, it 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 can we can become vulnerable to to some different things, and um, and uh, it's interesting because. You know, we transition from one thing to the next, and in, in, in Scripture, and uh, we we see examples of this. Paul talks about open doors and things that are coming that he sees. It's it's an open door. There's different times he mentions it for the church to pray for him to have an open door of utterance, and that the things that he speaks would be of God, and that there would be an open door in that way. And another place he mentions an open door in the Spirit, and um, and then one place particular, if 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 you have your Bible, we can look at um, the scripture came to me a month or so ago and hasn't left me in first Corinthians chapter 19 sorry first Corinthians 16 is verse verse 9 first Corinthians 16 verse 9. And Paul speaking here, and he says, and this is King James English, so it sounds kind of funny, but it says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. 
And, uh, you know, I've heard this, heard this scripture a lot, and, and a lot of times I've thought of it as, you know, as, as picture the door, you, you picture the door, and, and that door opens, and you walk through it, and man, and then there's all those adversaries that are just out to get you, um, which I think may be the case sometimes, you know, the enemy gets afraid when he sees us moving into things that God has for us, but today uh, I, I kind of got a new, a new perspective on that. And I think it's I think it's probably more uh, better understood that that there's this great door that's in front of us, these things that God's wanting to take us into, and the many adversaries are there before we get to that door. The many adversaries are there's that door, and I got this step that I'm going to, and or I got these chairs, these things that are going to get in my way of of that great open door that God wants to bring me to. Um, and I think it can be both ways. There can be adversaries on either side of the door. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I think just this perspective that the Lord kind of gave me is is oftentimes, it's again, it's in that season of, of transition, that season of moving from, from one place to the next, from one room, so to speak, in the spirit into another, that a lot of times that's when the greatest adversary or adversity can come into our life. And um, the, just as I've, as I've been reading scripture, even just even today, but over the last few months, um, this thought has stuck with me. And, and um, this verse that I just read, it's, it's, it's pretty cool because I, um, so I had, a, I had a dream a month or so ago. And to keep it short, I, um, in, in this dream, I, there, there was this big doorway that, that appeared to me and and um, real big cobblestone doorway all, all around, and, and the floor was cobblestone. And these big, there's these big wooden double doors that opened up. And, and this man was with me and this group of people, and he walked in and took a, took a turn and disappeared. And, and the group of people I was with, we sort of just, you know, laughed about it, joked around, looked at the doorway a little bit. And none of us ever went down, down that passageway, down that doorway. And then the scene changed, and, and then the doors were closed. And, and then a few moments later, they opened again. But when they opened up again, the whole passageway was filled with cobwebs and spiderwebs and, and things that, in my understanding, made me realize, okay, it's been a long time since anyone's went down this doorway, if, if anyone ever did end up going down after that man did. And, um, and when I woke up from that dream, this, this is the verse that, that came to my mind of a great door being open, but there being many adversaries. And it made me think that how often when there's something before us that God wants to bring us into, that the greatest adversary can be ourselves, can, can simply be us and in, in, in our humanity and, and us wanting to keep, keep our comfort and keep, just keep things going the way we want them to, that we can keep from going down that that doorway, keep from going through that doorway that God has set before us, whether it be as an individual or as a church. Um, and I think you guys have been hearing enough teaching recently about how the church is made up of individuals, but we're not, as, as the body of Christ, we're, we're a body made up of a bunch of individuals. We're not a body with, without this person or that person. That's, that's a incomplete body. Um, and so I've, I've had all these things just, just running through my mind and my spirit and, and, and praying about 
in the last week specifically praying about the church here and praying about home. And the Lord just continued to lead me in this. And, um, you know, some of those things that, that tend to tend to maybe keep us from going through certain of those doors, they, they, come, they come a lot of times in, in subtle ways. Um, and like I said, maybe the, our biggest adversary can be ourself, but, but other times it's, it's like, and like I mentioned with the example of, of being in transition, it can be just a little breeze that blows, that, that moves me off course from where I'm supposed to be stepping, what I'm supposed to be moving into. And a few examples in scripture that I've seen of this, if you want to look at them with me, I'm going to go through them quickly. But one example is in Matthew 14. Some of the, and these are, these are all real stories that took place, but I, I believe there's spiritual application to it. In Matthew 14, 22, and um, I'm going to skip a couple verses. Uh, or, no, I'll, I'll just read them real quick. So Matthew 22, uh, Jesus, uh, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him to the other side. So it is the will of God for the disciples to cross to the other side. And while he sent, they did that while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. They were in the middle of their process of getting to where God sent them to go. And while they were in the middle of the sea, they were tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Um, and so, sometimes, you know, in, sometimes in our, our life, our, our transition and our moving towards the things that God wants us to get to, there's going to be, and I wrote down three different wins and it's kind of cliche because I, yeah, I just can't stand this kind of stuff, but I wrote it down anyway. And these three different kinds of the wins are, one of them is, is this one, the contrary wind that will oppose what we're supposed to be doing for God. And we know, of course, in this scripture that God sent them to the other side. There's no doubt about it. They were supposed to get to the other side, um, and that was God's will for them. But in the midst, they were in the, they were in the middle of, of the sea and in the midst of their storm, so to speak. The wind became contrary to the will of God, contrary to where they were going. And in their humanity, they could have easily said, okay, the wind is contrary Maybe the will of God has changed. Maybe our course is supposed to redirect. Maybe we're supposed to be going somewhere else now. Because this is a, a natural element. This is a natural thing that, that they'd seen God have control over before and talking to the wind and the waves. And, and so surely this is a case where maybe his will has changed a little bit. And that's the contrary wind. And and just just kind of make make note and make mention before I before I go through the rest of this is, you know, in scripture, we oftentimes, and this is kind of the spiritual application side, we, we see, we see the wind as, you know, in, in John chapter three, Jesus describes the Holy, Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit as, as a wind. And he tells Nicodemus, he says, the, the wind blows where it listeth and we hear the sound thereof, but we don't see where it's going and we don't even know where it's coming from. And he likened that unto the spirit. So there's there's metaphor in scripture of of the Holy Ghost and being being wind and but it can also be a negative sense. 
we see every wind of doctrine. We see, we see winds of, of things that blow that, that aren't of the Holy Ghost. But because, and then we also see the God of the prince and the power of the air. And um, it's all these things that, that um, manifest spiritually, but God gives us these physical, natural elements and things to understand them by. And so spiritual things are often described by, by the wind, the moving of the wind. And, and we know, of course, as apostolics that we're supposed to be led by the Spirit, and sometimes it's not as clear as we would like it to be. Sometimes it blows a little bit in different directions, and um, that's why I'm thankful for spiritual authority who has to figure that out, and we just follow sometimes. Um, but there's the contrary wind, that, that we're going in the direction that God has sent us to go, and, and it blows, and if we're not careful, we can quickly forget what was the will of God? What was the directive of God for us to go? And we can just, uh, we can just say, okay, this wind's too contrary. It's time I got to turn back. I got to go somewhere else. And um, and then next is is the um, I, I I titled the the complementary wind, and um, and you don't have to turn there, but in, in Acts chapter twenty one, and this is where this is where this part kind of all started for me. And it's the life of Paul again. And he, um, when, when Paul started his ministry, if you, if you don't know, he, he was persecuting the church. And, uh, and then he was converted. He was, the, the Lord spoke to him on the road to Damascus, and he became converted. And, and then got his life straight, started doing the work of God. But in Jerusalem, where the church began, they didn't all, they didn't all necessarily accept Paul right away. And he, uh, some of the di different disciples, they knew that the church wasn't going to accept him. And so they helped him to escape the city. They, they let him down over the wall. And he escaped out of Jerusalem at the beginning of his ministry as an apostle. But now here he is. And this is not necessarily the end of his ministry, but it's coming coming towards an end of his ministry, and he's, he's going into some things where he knows he's, he's talking to a few different people for the last time, and um, in chapter 20, he talks to the Ephesian elders for the last time. He tells them, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm not going to see you again. Um, in that chapter, he tells them that he goes bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, and then we get into chapter 21, and I'm going to kind of just go through it and give you a little narrative of it here, but he's sailing Paul is sailing to Jerusalem, and he knows that he's he knows he's going to be there, and he's going to be he's going to be bound once he gets to Jerusalem, and not only in the spirit, but he he's physically going to be bound, and so he's sailing he's sailing to Jerusalem, and along the way, if you read through all of chapter twenty one, he stops in like two or three different places and different disciples' homes, and um, they all you know they encourage him and. And, and whatnot, and they tell him, man, you're going to Jerusalem, like, we know you're going to be bound there, maybe you should go this other way, you know, maybe you should do this thing, and, and then if you uh, go down to, uh, if you go down to chapter, or sorry, verse number 11, so this, this prophet had come, uh, this prophet had come, he was, he was actually at Philip's house, and this prophet came down, and, and he took Paul's girdle, and he bound his own hands and his feet with it, and he said, Thus saith the Holy, the Holy Ghost, that so shall the Jew, Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So now Paul is, 
Paul's on a boat heading to Jerusalem, and now he gets, he gets a prophecy from a prophet that he's going to be bound when he gets to Jerusalem. And so if, if he had any reason to turn back now, this was the best reason he would get. He's, he's just been prophesied to that this is going to happen. So surely that's the voice of God telling him, don't go, right? But Paul knew otherwise. He knew he was supposed to be going to Jerusalem. He, he didn't, and this is not necessarily a contrary wind in this point. That's why I called it a uh, complementary wind because it's, it's people that, that they're, they're for him. They're, they're people that love him. They don't want to see him. They don't want to see him go suffer. They don't want to see him potentially die at the hands of the Jews in Jerusalem. And so they, in their good, you know, and and with their good intent to see him survive. Um, but he, Paul, Paul answers in verse thirteen, and he says, "What mean you to weep and to break my heart?" He, I, I, in my own English, I, I feel like he's saying, like, "Man, you're pulling on my heartstrings here. I, I don't want to go to Jerusalem just as much as you don't want me to, but I'm being, I'm being pulled, I'm being drawn by the Holy Spirit." And he, he continues to say, for I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then it says, and when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying the will of the Lord be done. As if that's what wasn't going to happen already, right? So, and I don't know that, I don't think necessarily here that they knew they were opposing the will of God, but um, that's essentially what they were doing in, because of it being their own will and their own desire to see Paul survive, they were saying, you know what, Paul, no, don't do it. They, they were literally pers- trying to persuade him not to go. And this in my mind, if I was at this point, if I was in Paul's shoes, I think at this point I would have said, okay, you know what, you guys are, you got a convincing argument. I'm going to just stay here with you all. Yes, I believe I have a word from the Lord to go here, but man, you're convincing me you guys are great, so I'm going to stay. But Paul was determined, and you can read, of course, the rest of Acts and, and see what see that he follows through with that. Um, and then one, one last uh, example here that I want to look at is a couple chapters further in Acts 27. And this is, um, it's interesting because we could have read, we could read a lot more, but Paul, at one point, he knew that he was supposed to then go to Rome. And uh, in, uh-oh, runaway Plato. In, in Acts 27, though, he is, he's, he's a prisoner now, and he's, he's in bondage on, on this boat to Rome. And let me find the verse here. And in verse 10, he, again, Paul's a prisoner on the boat. He's going to Rome, knowing that it's the will of God for him to be in Rome. Um, but if you can just kind of stop for a second and imagine that you know you're in the will of God, you know that it's the plan of God for you to go to this certain place, but I don't know about you, um, but man, when I go somewhere, another country, I, it would be my preference to travel first class. <laughs> I, I, I like to have, you know, the food, the amenities, all those things, and maybe Paul, in his own mind, he, that was his initial thought, like, okay, God, you, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You, you know, nothing is too hard for you. Surely you can bring me to Rome first class. Um, but he had a resolve in, in, in his mind, and as we read in a couple chapters before, he was not willing only to be bound, but to suffer and to die for the things of Christ. 
And so he didn't go first class. Um, he, he walked through a door of suffering. He was being led through a door that in his own humanity, in his own mind, in his own eyes, uh, we would quickly say, no, that can't be the will of God because that's too uncomfortable. Uh, that Surely that must not be the will of God because, you know, God could break me out of jail as he had done before with Paul and Silas. Like, he, if he'd done it before, he can do it again, right? He's the same God. But in this case, we see he's, he's a prisoner on this boat. And verse 10 says, this is Paul speaking. He says, sir, I perceive that this voice will, this voyage uh, will with hurt and much damage, will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Uh, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attained, attain to Phoenice and there to winter. And then skip down with me to the next verse, verse 13. So against the, against the wisdom and counsel of Paul here, that they should not set sail toward Rome at this time, um, they decided they were going to do it anyway. And verse 13 says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close to Crete. Uh, and I titled this here, The Common Wind. Um, so it's something that it's maybe a familiar thing, a, a familiar spirit, or, or something that we just, you know, get comfortable with. These were, these were skilled sailors. These were men who... You know, they thought they knew the waters better than this just theologian. And, and they got out there, and, and they, were, they were tied up. Paul said that they should winter in this place, which means they should just, you know, put the anchor down and stay there for, for probably a couple months. And if you look at history and, and stuff in this time, it was, I, I think it was probably October when they were sailing. And it's, it was the worst time. It's the worst time of the year for them to sail. Um, but in their own human wisdom, they said, you know what, we're going to do it anyway. And then this simple south wind came and it blew softly. And in their, in their mind, they supposed that they had obtained their purpose. They thought that this south wind was something that, that affirmed their decision to set sail and to go the direction that they wanted to go. It was, it was just a small breeze at that moment. It was just a, you know, little gust of, you know, maybe it, when, when you're taking that step of transition, it may not be a breeze that blows you off, off course and makes you fall over in that moment. Um, but then verse 14 says, not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind. Sounds a lot more serious. And this wind had a name. It was called Arachlodon like a pretty serious wind, and it was, if you read on further, the, they end up in shipwreck and, and, and whatnot, um, but the point, the point that I want to make tonight is, you know, we're, we're, we're in a time of, of transition, as I've already said, and, 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 you know, it's so easy for us to, to look at an open door, maybe, and think that, 
think that everything is going to be, you know, the way that we would want it to be when we walk through that door or that things are all going to be comfortable and easy. We, we may think through that open door, we're not going to have to be on any shipwreck anymore as, as Paul experienced. We're not going to have to experience any more hunger and all these things Paul experienced in his own life. We may think that things are going to be perfect. And um, something I kind of just, it, it wasn't a vision, but just something I sort of envisioned today while I was, while I was praying is this big, long hallway leading to a door. You know, and, and I, I, again, in, in me and Bishop's conversation we had earlier, I made a statement, because um, for those of you who may not know, I'm, uh, next semester will be my last semester at school. And so I, I kind of look at my whole four years at school as this long hallway, and then the door at the end being the finish. And, you know, when I started freshman year, I didn't even intend to go four years, but say that I did intend to. The door looked like about this small at the end of the hallway, right, because it's so far down, and, and it looked impossible to get to, and it sure didn't look like I could fit through that door because at a distance, right, perspective, things look smaller, unobtainable, all those things, um, and now I'm in this coming into the next semester, and it's like it's as visible as this door right here today. It's right in front of me, and a statement I made to Bishop today is it's almost harder uh, changing seasons and transitions when you know a specific time that the change and transition is going to happen. I know that I get to be done and I get to come back home in the middle of May and if I don't want to I never have to go to Stockton again. Um, Lord willing but I probably will. No hard feelings. But what I what I picture is this transition in the Holy Ghost is, is that so many times we, we walk down this hallway, there's this perspective, this door's gotten, it's gotten bigger, but then sometimes there's just these little breezes, these little winds that can kind of just hit us out of nowhere, and, you know, sometimes they may be, it may be a spiritual thing, and it may be a wind of doctrine, as I said, or it may just be a, a little soft south wind, little breeze, that, you know, we think is in our favor, and we'll let it cause us to go someplace that God never intends if, if we don't stay focused on the place that he's told us at the beginning. And if, if, we, get, if we get caught in thinking that an open door of the Lord means everything's going to be comfortable and good, then we may, be, we may be tempted to take a little off-ramp in this path of life and Something I've, I've learned as well and been told many times is that every day is a test. And I realize that's so true. And oftentimes in this road of this path of life, I, I know what a specific destination is. I know that that's the door that I'm supposed to be walking through. I know that I'm supposed to be walking through that door in May. Um, but in my humanity, to, to let you kind of see a glimpse of it, I registered for my classes for this upcoming semester. I registered for them before coming home. And I asked, I asked the person who I registered with, I said, is it possible for me to take all these next semester classes online so I could just do it at home? <laughs> and she said, no, it's, it's not possible. But what I realized after, and I kind of joked about it, but what I realized after was that was me wanting to take an easy little off ramp and just jump ahead to that door 
that I know is right there. I know it's coming. I know I get to walk through it soon. But in my humanity, I wanted it to happen my way. I wanted it to happen now. Um, so anyway, I um, and just one other thing that I wanted to mention that I made a note of is is that we would have peace, peace in our position in in the storm. You know, it may not be a storm right now. It may just be a soft little breeze. You, you going where you need to go. Um, but often we saw with the disciples, they, they were in a storm in a different passage, and, and Jesus was just there sleeping in the boat. And, of course, he knew he had control of the wind and the waves. He knew that those things that were all happening, he could get up and stop in a moment. But he also knew that they were in his purpose. And so having peace in our position, wherever that is, and knowing that Jesus is right there with us. And we have, and I, I'm so thankful, and I mentioned it a little bit already, but I'm so thankful that we have elders, that we have a bishop and, and a bishop who has a bishop and all these different ones that we know that they're not being led by just these winds of storms and winds of small winds, but we know they're being led by the wind of the Spirit. And because they're being led by the wind of the Spirit, it may feel like a little bumpy sometimes and all these things, but we can have peace even if it's in a storm. Because we know that we can look and say, okay, well, Jesus is just sitting there sleeping, so I'm going to be okay no matter what's, what's blowing around me. And I just, I'm just thankful that we have a confidence that we're led by that Spirit, led by the Spirit of God. Amen. Um, so I'm thankful. Thankful for the season I'm in, even if I'm ready for it to be over and to be back here with you guys. Um, but I love each of you all, and, and I'm thankful for for this time, this break, that I get to be with you. Amen. Thank you, Brother Hart. Obviously, there's some things you're uncomfortable with. We discussed that a little bit today. You know, sometimes the path of our experiences or to broaden our perspective. He'll never forget. You know, the th what's interesting is, is we, we quickly forget sometimes the high points of life. That great time, that great moment. But when we consider the painful times, the difficult times, the struggles, boy, they have a lasting impression on us, and they affect our broader perspective. I think Brother Hart will look back at times in his life, and he'll remember the things that he's experienced in the uncomfortable and in the painful times, the moments. He didn't detail any of those, did he? But we can tell his expression is there. I'd like to read to you out of Matthew, if I could, Matthew 17 at verse 14. When they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O 
faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove thence to yonder place, and it shall remove. Now, that's kind of a description of what we would say was the impossible to the natural mind. And nothing, he goes on and says, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. The description seems to give us the idea of here's where you are. And if you can get to here, things will begin to change around you. His description of them was of little faith. And then, but then he said, if a man has faith of as, as of a grain of mustard seed, which we know the Bible says he has given to every man a measure of faith. But we... We hear in the words of the Lord Jesus that somehow there is a different dimension in faith. There is a different dimension. There is a dimension in faith that he described and said, nothing would be impossible to you. So I see a journey. I see a path. I see a uh, I see a, uh, a gaining somehow of many things in faith, understanding, experience, uh, dimension of expression, uh, and I couldn't tell you the first thing about getting there, but I know it exists. And so I read the word of God and decide, this is what I believe. I, I don't believe my experiences. I have no confidence in my experiences. In my own experience of, of pain and suffering. My, my point being, I, no matter if my life experience has come to a place of matching the word of God, I choose to believe the word of God. I want this faith to direct my thought. I want this faith to lead me in whatever dimension of faith may become manifested in my own life. I don't remember where I was, but I shared a, a list uh, one night somewhere of uh, various healings that I had experienced in life. And the reason I was sharing them was there were times when my healings were instantaneous 
And there were other times that they would take 10 months. And I had, I had no reason or, or direction as to why and really no struggle with it. I, I accept the teaching that there's times when God allows for things in my life for periods of time to do some kind of work in me. Or maybe even those associated to me. I don't know. I don't judge the, the person, the individual, uh, who gets instantaneous healing and the one that does not. Uh, you've heard me share the story where there was, there was a, a teenage girl, she's an adult girl now, cousin to my wife, who had, was born with a withered arm. And I've seen hundreds of people pray for her arm to be healed. And myself included, especially in the very spiritual moments, you know, and the evangelist passing through and the level of faith being really high. And, you know, everybody's looking for somebody to lay hands and pray for and see a miracle and never saw it with her. Yet I was in a, in a room in, in Kiev, Ukraine, and, and in just a few moments, there was a man there who was born with a withered arm that immediately it stretched out. And he has traveled the country sharing his testimony about how God healed him. Now, so, so I don't judge that situation and I don't judge the young lady. But I, I want this word to direct my faith. I want this word to direct my thoughts. Okay? Now. Some time ago, uh, I realized I was uh, getting up a lot in the middle of the night. I was having all these different symptoms of something. And so my wife drug me to the doctor. And uh, they ran some tests. They checked my blood and all this and didn't get the report back. I was at a meeting back in Maryland, and I got the report and the phone call. And so they said I had level 2 sugar diabetes. Is that how you say it? Oh, type 2. I'm not real experienced with the medical terms. So they said, you have type 2 uh, sugar diabetes. Um, your top number, or is it that? No, that's the blood pressure. Okay, so the, the sugar number, however they use it, it was 400. Cool. I mean, if you're going to have something, have it. Erase all the questions. First thing they did was put me on a medicine. Second thing I did was pass out in the middle of the night. And they had to call an ambulance, take me to the hospital. You know, he was trying to cure me of my problem. And it sent me to the hospital. It cost a lot of money. Well, at some point, I was frustrated with the whole process. And I said, you know what? I don't like what this stuff does to me. And I'm not going to keep taking it. And I didn't. I stopped taking it some time ago. Any medication. And, uh, it, you know, I've gotten away with it. My wife has handled it pretty good. Go ahead. Smile all the way. One day I noticed something about my index finger. It was uh, 
there was a line that was developing, you know, right up against the edge, and it was growing out to the edge like a little ripple, and I, and I, I don't wonder what that is. And then I, of course, I had noticed I was starting to lose the feeling in my index finger. And I'd say something to my wife. She said, that's probably the sugar diabetes. Oh, might be. I don't know. And uh, she, she didn't say anything more. Thank the Lord. And as time passed, uh, that fingernail cracked. It cracked right down the middle. And so I went to the beauty parlor. Nail salon. I went to the nail salon, and I said, can you put something over top? I said, every time I put my hand in my pocket, it catches a thread. So they put me a fingernail on <laughs> and said, you have to come back in seven days, ten days. You've got to take it off and file it down or do whatever they do and put another one on. Okay, I'll do that. So I did that four times over about month and a half and then I noticed and I was starting to experience a lot of pain on the other side of the nail right there wow bad bruise anytime I touched it oh man it hurt and there were times at night it would throb you know I didn't say anything about it but it was there and I thought hmm I wonder what's going on there well then it started turning black And it was getting so black and so long in my finger, I started covering up with a Band-Aid. It was kind of embarrassing. Well, we were actually, we were at the pause meeting, and uh, I had put a Band-Aid on it just to avoid conversations. <clears throat> but by the time it was time to leave, I was tired of that thing. And uh, Anyway, I was at a lunch meeting with uh, Bishop Wright. He said, what's going on with your finger? I don't know. I said, my wife thinks maybe it's the sugar diabetes. Have you been diagnosed? Sometime back. Are you doing anything? I pray. I live my life. Some of you are nervous. You're worried about what I'm going to say about all this. And uh, anyhow, life went on, and one day, I was driving down the road, and I did something, you know, and my finger passed my nose, and it smelled like death. And I realized as I was driving now, let me go back up just a minute. A couple of guys picked me up for the manifest meeting at the airport, and they said, they were, they were talking in the front, I was sitting in the back, and they got to talking about some guy's wife, and she had sugar diabetes, and they had to cut her hand off. And <laughs> I was beginning to picture things of maybe the future. So, now, listen, I'm not ignorant. But I want to wait on God. What do you want me to do? Uh, do? Do I really have to be subject?
to all that is in the world and all how, you know, everything is dealt with. And uh, anyway, long story. I want to believe this right here. And I want to stand on it. And I pictured myself with nubs, you know. Wonder how long. I'm 61. If this would play out for, let's say, 15 years, I could maybe live with that. Anyway, I'm still driving my car. I'm processing these thoughts that are coming to my mind. And in a moment, I got a word from God. And I rebuke the death. I rebuke the diabetes. And I said, finger, live. It was just words that came after waiting. The feeling has come back. The blackness is gone. I've got a fresh new nail growing underneath what's left of that broken one. I'm just, I'm just saying. I thought to myself, I thought, yes, to myself, as I'm sitting here, as this, these thoughts, go ahead, share that, talk about that. And I'm thinking, what? Really? Here? Tonight? Now? I, I know, I knew this. I knew when I spoke what I spoke, driving the car, in just a moment, I would see something change. There was a different dimension. Somehow, I'm, I'm not saying I was praying and I, and I entered into it. I was just waiting. And I was contented to wait until... He gave me his word, the same word that he could give to you. And you could say, mountain, be removed. If the Lord gives word to a man and the man speaks that word, I don't care how large the situation. It's not a place of begging God and please God and, come, you know, come on, God. There is a faith of waiting that I am assured of. Now, I can't explain why there's been, that I've suffered at times 10 months, two months, or 48 hours, or whatever the processes of time. But I knew when I was experiencing this situation. Now, I, I don't know what all entails. I only know what I said. And I only know now what I'm seeing and feeling. I know there's times when we, I'm meaning you, you and I, you're the one to pray the healing in your situation, in your body, your life. 
I know the scripture does give us instruction, call for the elders of the church, let them pray and anoint with oil. But too often times, our faith only says, come on, let me get you to the church. We better go to the church and get prayer. I, I am sure that there is a dimension of faith that we can walk in that can bring change in many situations in our life because it's, you know, one writer said we're saved by the word of our testimony, by the blood of Jesus and by the word of our testimony. Well, the word of our testimony is also a stepping stone to another test of faith. And when I can look back on the moment when I prayed concerning whatever, there's a faith that comes to pray for whatever is facing me. How can we ever come to the place where we start moving backwards in the other direction? We can't. Can we? I don't know why what what this has to do with anything, but I this keeps coming back to me. The night I was standing in the the old building in Wapato, God gave me direction to teach that night on. In, in part, was on hair. And my opening scripture was, don't you know that it's a shame for a man to have long hair? And in walks a guy with a ponytail all the way down his backside. And I thought, isn't that something? Who's testing who here? And because I knew that I had waited on God and I'm not careless and I don't wield the sword in a way to hurt people, I went on and taught what I felt from the Lord that night for, for the whole. Stand with me for a minute and let's turn our focus entirely to the Lord here and begin to talk to him. Pray, worship in the name of Jesus. We are thankful to you, Lord. We're thankful to you, oh God. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. We believe your word. We stand on your word. It is my sure foundation. We walk in your faith, Lord. It's your faith. It's not ours. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We believe you tonight, Father. 
We believe you tonight, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that Paul tried to share with us that he had found a place of resolve when he had appealed to God three times for his own situation, his own affliction. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. It may be that Paul in that moment gained the resolve that he's not taking this out of my life. He's wanting me to live my life with this in my life until my death. And became possibly okay with that. That's peace. That's resolve. And I think if a person has that resolve... then I have respect for that, okay? But there's things in many people's lives, they've not gotten the resolve, and so they're still reaching. They are appealing. They are waiting. They are waiting. They've been waiting, and they continue to wait Are you waiting here tonight? Is there anybody waiting? You're waiting here tonight? If you're waiting, you, you'll have to decide what that question means to you. If you're waiting here tonight, would you step into this front area right in here? This is the expression of faith. This is not judging. This is the expression of faith. I wait upon you, my God. Come on, let's begin to pray. Pray with a waiting spirit, expecting to receive as you're waiting. In the net, nothing shall be impossible to him, to her. Nothing shall be impossible to him, to her. In the name of Jesus. Come on, faith is of a grain of mustard seed. In the name of Jesus. I wait upon your sure word. Your word that will not fail, but it will accomplish. It will prosper. Your word, Father. Your word, Father. In the name of Jesus. Your word. Your word. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, 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 
Jesus. Come on, he hears you. He feels you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. We bear witness, Father, of this faith. This faith that your word speaks of, that you told men of, Father. We bear witness of this faith in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Will you remember this and hold fast to this? I, I you know, we're, we're praying, we're exercising faith here. We're giving an expression of faith. But I would dare say that this most often takes place when it's just you. It's you and God. And it's your expression between you and Him. When He gives you His word on a matter, you speak that word. There's a lot of things that happen in our lives that we don't need to talk about. But come to the place where we see the hand of God having touched that situation. Amen. Praise God. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.